We're glad to be sharing the ministry of Tabernacle of Praise with you. Now join us as we receive the Word of God. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. I can tell I'm going to have to push through this one. It's good to have all of our visitors. Can we give our visitors a tabernacle welcome? It's good to see you. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 6 says, And ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therefore with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments, that's the, the primitive form of something, of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him... In who? Him. Who is Him? Christ. In Him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. No, I'm not preaching on the Godhead today. But understand the context. Because verse 10 says this. First, let's back up and read that scripture again. For in Him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now let's keep reading. And ye are complete in Him. In Him dwell all the fullness, and in Him you are complete which is the head of all principality and power. And while you're turning, Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. I want you to remember all through this lesson, you are complete in Him. He is the head of all principalities. Are there principalities at work right now? Oh, you can bet. There are some places... There are some things going on in this realm of spirit that everybody's looking around and we're trying to solve it with man-made functions and man-made ideas and man-made wisdom, and it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because it's the principality. He is head over all the... He, he doesn't need, God doesn't need to work in our flesh. He needs to work in our spirit. Quite often, we walk in the flesh and hope that the Spirit works out in us when it ought to be the opposite. We ought to be walking in the Spirit hoping that our flesh works out in us. I think most people enjoy the story of an underdog, don't you? Don't you like the underdog? Not the cartoon. That was Polly Purebed, all that. Uh, the underdog. When an unknown, an unlikely, an overmatched person goes up against the big guy and wins... Isn't that the greatest? Don't you like to see it on a, a movie when a bully is out on the playground or out in a place and he's this big bully and he's bullying everybody and this scrawny little guy comes up and just whips him a good one? Y'all don't like that? I do. I like it. I like David and Goliath. That's one of my favorite stories. This little scrawny guy went up against this nine-footer, took him down. We take, okay, let me back up. I take great pleasure in seeing the underdog win. You may not, I do. I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. I take great pleasure in seeing the underdog win. Most of us love these kind of stories because really, in reality, whether we want to admit it or not, or not most of us see ourselves as an underdog. Whether you like to admit it or not, most of you see yourself as the underdog. And that's what motivates you and gives you hope. You're the underdog. 
So I want to talk to you today about an underdog, a person that maybe you've never even heard of in Scripture. He's an obscure individual, no background that would cause you to see him. Judges chapter 17, Judges chapter 17, you stay with, stay in verse or chapter 3, I want to read something. Judges chapter 17, verse 6. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. We were talking earlier today, what if President Trump were to get on national news tomorrow and say, okay, starting today at 10 o'clock, this morning, anybody and everybody in America can just do whatever you feel like doing. That's what was going on in Israel. Every person did that which they thought was right in there. That's what's going on in America. That's what's already happening. The president doesn't have to get up and make a speech. It's happening. Everybody's just doing what they think is right in their own eyes. So I want to talk to you about this obscure man. Joshua had led Israel into the land, he had defeated 31 kings at this point in time. But in the book of Judges, Israel suffers this great failure. You see, they didn't drive out all of the people that God had told them to drive out. God was going to drive them out little by little, as you heard Bishop talk about this morning. But they had failed to do what God had told them to do. And another generation had now risen up who did not know the Lord nor the work that the Lord had done. It's amazing, Bishop. It seems like in the last few weeks and months, we've been describing America over and over and again by just looking in the Scripture. The same thing's been coming up over and over. I think God is saying, They then experienced this cycle of slavery over and over again. But God raises up judgment, judges, men and women of faith, relatively unknown heroes who would lead Israel out of bondage. If you read the book of Judges, you see a, a continuum that goes on and on and on in Israel. This is going to be a little bit of a lengthy reading, but stay with me. Judges chapter 3. This actually would make a good movie. Actually would make a good movie. Let's read verses 12 through 31. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened uh, Eglon. It's actually Eglon. The E here in Hebrew is A-Y, Eglon the king of Moab against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And notice what it just said. And the Lord strengthened the enemy of Israel, because Israel had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto them the children of Ammon of Amalek, and went and smote Israel, and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord... Eighteen years later, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubic length. 
And he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. Now, he's a left-handed guy. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. Why in the world would that be put in Scripture? I'm going to tell you. And when he had made, that's pretty definitive, isn't it? And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, keep silent, keep silent. And all that stood by him went out from him. So you see what happened here? God sent me to perform an errand for you, O king. Everybody leave the room. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. I have a message. It went from I have an errand. I have a message. And he arose out of his seat. And he who had put forth his left hand, and he took the dagger from his right thigh, and he thrust it into his fat belly. Well, it doesn't say fat, but we know he's fat. He thrust it into his belly. And the half also went in after the blade, and the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly for the fat. And the dirt came out. I told you to make a good movie. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. When he was gone out, his servants came, and when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked. They said, Surely he covereth his feet in a summer chamber. Do you all know what it means to go, in, go into a, a restroom and cover your feet? There, there you go. I didn't say it. You did. You understand what's going on here. They thought their king was in the restroom. So they weren't about to go in the restroom of the king and embarrass anybody. So what did they do? They tarried till they were ashamed. It came to a point where they're like, listen, he never stays in there that long. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor. Therefore, they took a key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped into Syria. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the mountain of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with, with him from the mount and he before them. And he said unto them, follow after me for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites into your hand. And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty, all Arnold, all big guys, all men of valor, and they escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for four score years, 80 years. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an axe goad. And he also delivered Israel. In this story, we read a cycle of this continually repeated thing that happens. It's called the cycle of sin. 
This story actually dictates to you and me what the cycle of sin is really about. Apostasy, apostasy is the first stage. Apostasy, what is that? Turning away from God and doing that which is evil in sight. Saying that what God did was evil and what we're doing now is good. Does that sound familiar today? That's the first thing the cycle of sin does. You draw away from God and you begin to call the things of God evil and the things that are evil good. You pursue your own desires. You pursue your own gods. You follow after your own way. Remember I read in Judges 17 and 6 how that they were doing what they thought was right in their own sight. Does that all sound familiar? The second stage of the sin cycle is servitude. Servitude. You see, what happened when Israel sinned against God is God sold them into the lands of into the hands of Eglon, into the Moabites. Servitude brings uh, the servitude state brings about God's judgment because of the apostasy. What happens is when you turn from God in sin, when you turn from God, you then begin to serve the very sin that you have now taken upon yourself. It doesn't serve you. Friend, don't think at one point drugs is ever serving you. Illicit sex is ever serving you. Alcohol is serving you. Don't think any of those things are serving you. You're serving it. You're serving it. That's the problem with most people in this cycle of sin is they don't realize servitude until it's already done. It's already part of their life. Remember that Moab was the son of Lot. The Moabites came from Moab. Who was Moab? He was the son of Lot. How was he the son of Lot? He was an incestuous child born to Lot and Lot's oldest daughter. And now Israel is serving this situation. The Moabites actually lived across, when you see the four there, they lived across the Jordan to the south of Israel. So Israel served Eglon, the Moabite king, for eight years. Years. So, what does the sin cycle bring? What happens is there is a an apostasy. Then there's a servitude. Eighteen years. This brings us to the third stage. In the third stage of the sin cycle comes supplication or prayer. Or you know what? I figured out I got a problem. So now I'm going to cry out to God. It took Israel eighteen years to figure out they had a problem. Some of us it figures. Some of us, it takes 18 years to figure out we got a problem. But the good thing is, if we figure it out, then we can get to the third part of the cycle. And that's to call on God, cry out to God. And then the final stage of the cycle of sin is salvation. Salvation. God raised up Ahud. At first, Ahud does not seem like the type of a character that you want to follow after. If you read about him here, it's probably not a Sunday school story that you want to go in detail with your kids. He makes him a knife and he hides it away and he stabs the guy in his fat. and That's not something we want to, you know, really. But after you read about this man, you find out something. He, he has a character. He has character. You see, he was the son of Gera, a Benjamite. And he must have been a prominent person because he was the guy that went to took the present or the gift uh, or the tribute to the king. Of all the people, he selected the judge. You're the guy. You go take it. You know, he must have been a man of courage because he went by himself. He went all alone. Even though they were in servitude to this guy, 
He went all by himself. And unlike Rambo, who Rambo was equipped. Ehud, all he had was a dagger that was sharp on both sides. I think he was a pretty good strategist, though, because when we read the story, we figured out that what he did was, when he, after he killed the king and he locked the bathroom door, he waited and waited like the other people waited and waited, and finally they couldn't take it anymore, and they went, oh, and he escaped as they went in to go see what was going on with the king. He escaped. So he planned it out very well. This man was a strategist. He has plotted an escape route. And then lastly, not only did he escape, not only did he bring to the king, hey, I've got something, a plan for you from God. You know, the king must have been feeling pretty good. You have a plan, a thing, a something from God for me? Yes, and now I need to tell you what that is. Everybody leave. Man, he must be feeling pretty good at this point. Not only after all that happened, he rallies Israel. He doesn't just leave the plan. He doesn't just leave what he spoke. He goes back to the Israelites and rallies them, and they kill 10,000 robust, burly, big, strong, prominent soldiers. You see, Ehud wasn't afraid to confront the enemy. He wasn't afraid to confront the enemy. Eglon represents sin and flesh in your life. Eglon represents sin that comes into your life. If you look at Eglon in chapter 3, it says he was, or in verse 3, he was, chapter 3, what? Say it. So I know that's not a word we like to say today because we all like to be slim, trim, and, you know, that's why I wore my skinny jeans today. I want you to, yeah, you think I was, yeah. Everybody knows different anyway. You notice I got my big, you know, okay. He was fat. Sin can grow to an obese state in your life if you let it go unchecked. It can grow and grow and grow and grow. It can become hard, ugly and it can become hard to kill if you don't address it. You see, Ehud wasn't afraid to address the enemy. In our life, we can't be afraid to address our problems and address our issues and address our sin. Bishop said earlier something that is humorous, but it's not. There's, there's a denomination that we know of that the pastors and preachers there don't believe. That they, they believe they go days and days and days and weeks and months without sinning. That they go all... They, you see, they, they're afraid to confront. They're afraid to see reality. They're afraid to see it for what it is. Sin doesn't go away by ignoring it, does it? If you ignore sin, you know what happens. Not only does sin retain, but sin invites another sin friend. Sin, sin grows. Sin, sin, understand this about sin. It grows. Sin never deteriorates in your life till you come to God. It only grows. We also learn from this story that people can be content to be enslaved in their sin for a long period of time. Just be, learn to live with it. Have you ever learned to just live with something? And I got this hip thing going and this knee thing going, and I'm almost learning to live with it. I'm hobbling around, but, I'm, but you know, I shouldn't have to learn to live with this. You need God to touch me. I need to not accept it and just live with it. But you know, there are people, 
in their life that allow sin to just harbor in their life, and they learn to live with it. So much that it took 18 years to just call on God about it. Why do we wait so long to call on God? Why is it we do that? Well, so I think sometimes is that we're afraid and ashamed. We're afraid and ashamed. God already knows. God already knows. You, you, you're not going to surprise God. God's not going to go, what, what? Can you repeat that? Because I don't. God knew it 18 years ago. I think sometimes we're just afraid to face the reality of it. I think sometimes we think, you know, this is something fun. And I enjoy it. And I don't want to lose it. Sometimes that's why we wait and wait to let something in our life, till it festers to a point where it's no longer fun. I used to have a lot of fun drinking, y'all. Man, I had a blast. I, I'm not joking you. I had a blast drinking. When I drank, I drank. I wasn't like some of you teetotalers. It was all or none, and it was usually all. The problem was it was only fun for a season. And I wasn't figuring out that in the morning when I woke up all hungover with, with stuff that was used to be in my stomach, now out of my stomach and all over my bed. Oh, that was fun. Oh, yeah. But next week I was back there again because it only took me about a week to forget about, to put up with, to just maintain and keep going on and doing the same thing over and over and over again. Y'all didn't want to know that about you, Pastor, did you? Y'all already knew it. Maybe we've just become content to remain in our misery. Misery loves com company, doesn't it? The problem is the only company that misery loves is more misery. More misery. Why do we wait so long? Listen, let me tell you something today. If you don't, if, if sin's got a grip on you, if there's something in your life that's got a hold of you, and you, you've really tried it before and it didn't work, and so you tried it again and it didn't work, and so you just kind of uh, give up, I'm just going to have to live. No, listen, you have a Redeemer here today. You have a Redeemer. You have a Saver. You have a Deliverer that's here today that will deliver you from the enslavement of whatever you're battling, the addictions of sin in your life. He's here today. He's here to do it. Whether it's 18 days or 18 years, He's here today to set you free. Ehud accepted who he was. And here's the place I want to go here. This is where I want you to understand something. He realized he was a nobody. He realized he wasn't a somebody. But he accepted. Ehud, the judge, accepted who he was in God's eyes. He accepted who he was in God's eyes. Even though we know that there, there were many Benjamites that were left-handed, by the way. Ehud was different. Ehud was different. The phrase left-handed here in the Hebrew literally means hindered in the right hand. Hindered. Something was going down in his right hand. Something was wrong with his right hand. He couldn't use his right hand. And so now he had to be forced to use his left hand. Has that ever happened to you before? Anybody ever, ever, you ever been right-handed and you broke your arm or your hand and you couldn't use it? And so you had to use your left hand? Yeah, I'm, I'm lucky I'm both. 
the problem with that has, to, has somewhat to do with culture. In our culture, it wouldn't mean a lot. But go to the Oriental culture. Because everything you do proper, you do with the right hand. But everything you do that's not to be seen in public and improper, you do with your left hand. And so to be left-handed in that culture, you're an outcast. Nobody, nobody wants to shake your hand. Now, if y'all don't know what I'm talking about, come to Pastor Don later, and I'll explain that in more depth without trying to be gross. The name Benjamin, who was a son of Joseph, the name Benjamin literally translates son of my right hand. This guy Ehud had everything going against him. Everything. Possibly meaning he was handicapped. Whatever that meant, he had had to adapt to using his left hand. He was this unlikely hero in the eyes of Israel. He was this unlikely underdog. This obscure person that God chose to deliver his people. He could have easily went the route of, how could God possibly choose me? Look, I, I can't even use my, I'm, I'm left, I, I can't. He could have just went that way. He could have, but he accepted what God saw in him. He accepted how God looked at him. And church, we got to get on this, we got to get on board here. You need to accept how God sees you, not how pastor or bishop or family or friends or outsiders. It doesn't matter. What matters is how God sees you. The problem is many of us don't know how God sees us. Why is that? Because the book tells us how God sees us. And we're not in the book enough to know how God sees us. When God looks at you and you're a born-again child of God, He doesn't, thank God He doesn't see Don Biddick. But thank God He sees the blood of Christ over me. He sees, I'm not Jesus Christ, but when He looks at me, Jesus Christ has me covered. And we've got to get on board and understand that. Listen, the book of Judges is full of underdogs. Full of underdogs. It's a great, great book to study. The unlikely, the obscure, but God uses them for His glory. Jesus was an unlikely hero. Jesus was, Isaiah 53, 2-3 says this, He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty that would attract us to Him. Nothing of His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows, very familiar with suffering. Like one whom men hid their faces. You ever seen that person and you just go, I don't want to talk to them. Dude, I thought I was a... a <laughs> man, I think I am going to hang around him. As long as I'm around him, I'm not the ugliest one in the room. He was despised. No one esteemed him. No one lifted him up. No one esteemed Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ accomplished the single most important act in the history of mankind. He died for our sins. But no one would recognize him. 
when he came on the scene. There was no red carpet for Jesus. There was no red carpet. There was no fanfare. He was an unlikely hero. No, no one saw him as a hero. So you're here today. You're here in Jesus Christ. Do you feel like an underdog? Do you feel like an underdog? Do you feel like, well, I don't have the right credentials? I think I told the story before, just real quick. Preached that at a church in West Texas. And after it was done, I said, this lady comes up at the altar and she said, now, who was your dad? And I said, uh, Wayne Biddick? Uh, I don't guess I know him. I said, well, it's because he's Baptist and we're, we're, we were Pentecostal. Oh, I, you don't have the credentials. You don't have the, you don't have the right, you, you aren't from the right group. You ever feel that way? Not good enough. I'm just an ordinary Joe living for God. I'm obscure. Nobody knows me. You understand who God's looking at right now? If that defines you, God's looking at you. You're the hero, the unlikely hero God's looking for to do something in today's world. He's looking right at you. But I want to tell you today, This, listen, I'm looking at, don't, don't take this personally, but I'm looking at a lot of Ehud's today. People that think they, they don't have a lot going when in fact with God they have everything going. You have everything going. And God wants to turn a nation. You don't think God wants to turn America? You think God's so mad at us now that He just wants to give up on us? Do you think God's looking at America and say, Ah, say la vie, I'll go somewhere else? God wants to turn America. He wants to, God wanted to turn Israel back. Why do you think He sent one lowly, obscure guy to kill the king, the sin? Why do you think He did that? So that that guy would become the hero? How many of you have ever heard of Ehud? You've ever, Besides Bishop, he didn't raise his hand. But I, you've heard of Ehud, the judge. There's very few of us. Why is that? He turned a whole nation for God by getting rid of a king. The king represents what? The Moabite. Sin. Don't think God won't, doesn't want to use you to turn this nation around. You see, a lot of us don't. I can tell. All there just went out of the balloon. Because we don't believe it. We don't believe it. We don't believe God wants to use us. After all, you know, uh, nobody knows me like God knows me. That's right. That's right. Nobody knows you like God knows you. He knows every single little detail about you. That's why He chose you. What do you mean He chose me? Well, my Bible tells me that when Jesus looked at the disciples, He said, oh, oh hold on, guys. Y'all talking big here, but let's understand something. You haven't chose me. I've chosen you. You don't, oh, I chose Jesus Christ on October the 7th, 1978. No, you didn't. He chose you, and you answered the call. You answered, that's what he's after. He chose you, and you answered the call. There's so many people that have this arrogant, the day that I found the Lord, you didn't find the Lord. You weren't looking for the Lord. You weren't after Him. He found, you were the way, Lord wasn't wayward. The Lord wasn't lost. You were the one that was lost and needed to be found. When He found you, don't be so arrogant to think. But now understand something. Because He found you, not only did He find you, He chose you. 
Let that sink in just a little bit. He chose you. Listen, even though you have a back, does Pastor Don have a background? Does Pastor Don have limited capabilities, limited capacities? God sees Pastor Don differently. God sees you differently than you even see yourself. Next to God, you know yourself better than anyone, right? Only God knows you better. Oh, you're the devil too. No. No. He doesn't know you better than you know yourself. Only God does. That's why God chooses you. He takes us from different backgrounds and gifts, and He takes us from all different ways of life, and He brings us into this kingdom so that deliverance can happen. Aren't you glad we don't all look alike? What if y'all all look like me? <laughs> Church would be empty. As a matter of fact, here's the thing about you and God. You are unique. There's not another soul in, on this planet exactly like you. Almost 8 billion people on this planet. And God says, hmm. You understand God doesn't choose everybody, right? Because not everybody answers the call. The Bible tells us that God calls all men unto repentance. Every person is called unto repentance. But He chooses those that answer. You answered that call. Guess what? He chose you. You're an Ehud. How's God going to use me in spite of who I am? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.27, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak to shame the strong. God chose Ehud, and Ehud became the motivation to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Moabites. Maybe you're here this morning and you want to influence. See, there's, there's a lot of people that will sit in church this morning, and they don't really care to influence their generation. They're not, doesn't mean anything to them. I don't want to, I just want to make it to heaven. I just want to hear the gates clink. I just want to get by just enough. You ever heard of the, the term skin of your teeth? Look at the person next to you, tell them to smile. How much skin's on that tooth? There ain't none. There ain't none. You're not going to make it by the skin of your teeth because there ain't none. That's not how true Christians live for God. True Christians live for God with a purpose that Jesus gave us, and that's to influence the generation we're living in. You see, he didn't, God, God didn't have you birthed 100 years ago because you weren't supposed to be here 100 years ago to influence the generation. And He didn't have you birthed 100 years from now because He intended you to be born in this generation to affect this generation. He chose you for that. What did he tell Jeremiah? Hey, Jeremiah, before you were even conceived, I knew you. I chose you. Before you were even conceived in your mother's womb. Are you any different than Jeremiah? Oh, yeah, because he was a great prophet of God. Isn't that funny? 
how we lift up Daniel and Jeremiah and Abraham and David and Solomon and Paul. and We lift up all these people, and they were regular people. They weren't superstars. If you read about every man that I just talked about in Scripture, you're going to find some really bad things about them in Scripture. Aren't you glad God did that? Aren't you glad God showed their warts and their problems and their issues to us in Scripture? Gives me a, hey, I got a shot. I got a shot of being somebody in God's kingdom. I got a shot at influencing my generation. If those people could do that, if a man could go around breaking up families, throwing people in jail, and killing people for being a Christian, and then write over half of the New Testament, I hadn't killed anybody like that. I hadn't done it. I hadn't put anybody in jail. I don't have a sister, but if I did, I wouldn't pass her off as my, or my wife as my sister. If my wife was, I wouldn't pass her off as my sister twice. And that Abraham was the father of the faithful. Hmm. You see, we build up so many people in Scripture, and we're not tearing people down today. I want you to understand something. Ehud was just as important in the kingdom of God as Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, Jeremiah, Paul. He was just as important because what he had to do in his generation was affect his generation. And I'm closing. There was a little boy was heard in his backyard. He was walking across the yard, had his baseball cap on, ball and bat in hand. I'm the greatest hitter in the world. Threw the ball up. Strike one, he said. He said to himself, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw the ball up, missed it again. Strike two. Third time he threw, I'm the greatest hitter in the world. And he threw the ball up and strike three. Wow, strike three. I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> Understand who you are in God. We have a concept about ourselves that needs to be destroyed. That's not to build yourself up in yourself, but let God build yourself up in God. To understand that you are made to influence your generation. God sees your potential. God sees your heart. Potential doesn't, listen, by the way, let me show you. Just because a person looks good doesn't mean they have a lot of a potential. Just because they look the part doesn't mean they are the part. Man looks on the outside. God looks on the inside. And God sees your potential. God doesn't look at age. He doesn't factor age in. Whether you're young or old, He doesn't factor that in at all. God knows the potential at your age and what you are. He knows that already. That's why He called you. So be willing like Ehud, in your limitations and weaknesses, just accept God's plan for you. Understand this. Understand this. What, what allowed Ehud to have victory, to serve God and be used of God, was he recognized he didn't have it. God had it. He didn't have it. God had it. That's made it, what made him successful. Why did Ehud say to Eglon, I have a message for you. I have a message for you. He gained the ear of the king with a statement. 
knowing that this statement was going to bring judgment and deliverance. Ehud already knew what was going to happen and what was going to go down. He had already sharpened that dagger really sharp. It was so sharp that when it went into the guy's fat, it went so deep, his hand went in with it, and he couldn't pull it out. It went all the way through. In verse 28, he says to the Israelites, Follow me, for the Lord, for the Lord, for the Lord. Do you believe God today? Do you believe God today? You see, Ehud learned not to take credit, but to give credit to God. Everything that happens in your life and mine, whether it's a deliverance from a sin. You know, I used to, I used to when I first got into church, I knew what God did, but I felt so good telling everybody what I used. You know what, what I was able to overcome? This is what I was able to overcome. This is what I used to do. And this is how, I, you know, but came a point when I understood something. I didn't overcome. God made me an overcomer. He made me by His blood. And the Word, see, here was the other thing. I loved giving my testimony when I was young because I could tell all this junk, you know, and tell everybody what I just gave, all this stuff. You know what? Your testimony is not what God delivered you from. Sorry. Your testimony is not how you lived in the church all your life and you never were a sinner. That, that doesn't exist, but some, some of us believe that. I was born under a pew. I've never sinned in my life. Well, there's number one, lying. We can start here. But I realized something. You know what? Man, I was only an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the Word. That's the, this is the testimony of Him. This is the testimony of Him. You know, it's nothing wrong with telling where God brought you from. That's not your testimony. Your testimony is Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, died on a cross, buried in a tomb, rose on the third day. That's your testimony. How do we know that? Go to the book of Acts. Thank you for asking that question. Sometimes you don't ask, so thank you for asking how do we know that. Go to the book of Acts. Everywhere anybody went, they gave their testimony. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that was their testimony. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything of ourselves, but our confidence, our competence comes from God. It doesn't mean you're incompetent. It means your competence, you are competent, but it comes from Him. Isn't that nice? Because I can't work off of my competence because I'm a very incompetent person. I thought I'd get more amens than that. Amen. Thank you. Listen, there's nothing wrong with knowledge. There's nothing wrong with programs. There's nothing wrong with degrees. But that's not what we need in the church. Not, there's, again, there's nothing wrong with knowledge, programs, degrees. But that's not what we, you know what we need? Simple faith in Jesus Christ. Simple faith in Him. You see, the world measures success by degree and knowledge and program, climbing the ladder, financial wealth, popularity, fame. All, that's how the world measures people. That's not how God measures you. 
That's not what God's looking for. God's looking for simple faith. And I'll end with this. Our text today encourages us in three ways. Three ways. Be willing to confront areas in your life that have sin in it. If you're going to be an instrument of God in this society today, in your generation, first be willing to look at your life and confront things, issues, sin in your life. I realize this is, you know, other than here, in a lot of places, you don't hear people don't talk about sin quite a bit anymore. It's, it's taboo. You know, you know one, one major pastor said, well, I don't preach sin at all. Everybody knows they're a sinner. Really? I can take you to a place this morning, if you'll go with me, and we can ask a hundred people, did you know you were a sinner? And I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you a hundred knows. No, I didn't know I was a sinner. There are people that live in this world that have no idea they're a sinner. They don't even know what sin means. They don't know that they've transgressed against God. They don't get that. We have to, we have to look at that first. Be, know you're valuable in God's eyes. God, there's a value you have in God's eyes today. There's a value you hold in God's eyes. And then remember that it's this unreserved faith that causes God to change you, the obscure, to do the impossible. I would imagine that Ehud said to the guys before he, okay, I'm going to take this gift to the king, and here's my plan. I'm going to get my, my little dagger, and I'm going to stick it on the right side here where he can't see it. If he, I, I would imagine if he told that plan to anybody, and he didn't, that they would have said, dude, good luck. You're stupid. That is the ignorantest plan I've ever heard of in my life. How far do you think you're going to get into the king's palace with a dagger? Kept it to himself because this was, this was what? This was what? Oh, uh, king, I have, a, I have a message from God. You understand the message from... We don't like looking at this in the Old Testament, but the message from God was given to him. The message, that's what God wants to do if you have a sin problem this morning. That's what He wants to do if you have a personal problem this morning. That's what He wants to do if you don't realize your value. He's got a message for you. He wants to kill stinking thinking. He wants to kill stinking thinking and get you to understand that He has a value and you. Stand with me if you would. A lot of Ehud's in here this morning. A lot of Ehud's in here. People that you feel like, man, I'm not, I don't have, or I have, you know, I don't have the pedigree, I don't have this, I don't have that. That's great. That's great. Nothing for you to rejoice in yourself about. I was happy that my dad was Wayne Biddick. First of all, he was my dad, and I loved him. But he had no bearing on how God saw me. None. He's my dad, and he loved me, and I loved him. He had no bearing on how God saw me. Nothing outside of you has any bearing on how God sees you today. And even if you think you're the obscure, the person that nobody really is going to listen to, I don't have the credentials, I'm not the somebody, that's not how God sees you today. You know how God sees you? that verse 10 that we read at the beginning in 2 
in Colossians chapter 2. You're complete in Him. Everything you need to affect this generation is already done. You're complete in Him. Because He's the head of all principalities, of all powers. He controls it all. How long does the church sit on the sideline? How long do we sit back and watch things happen as they're happening in our, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our state, in our country? How long do we sit there and sit still and do nothing? I'm not talking about getting militant. Don't you understand how I... The Bible doesn't teach us to be militant, but the Bible says we're in God's army. We are in a military But there's a difference. Militants aren't controlled. They go by emotion. Militants aren't controlled. They go by emotion. Whatever fits the bill at that particular given time. But a military is very controlled. A military is well-trained, well-equipped, and they're always given orders. You ever seen A Few Good Men? Anybody? You ever seen the movie A Few Good Men? Soldiers don't take matters into their own hands. If soldiers take matters into their own hands, people die. That's the statement he made. We don't have to worry about taking matters into our own hands in the kingdom of God. They're in his hands. He's the head. They're in his hands. Bishop said it this morning, and I want to repeat it. I may not say it like he did but we've got to understand something. There's a lacking in the church, church worldwide, and in prayer. There's a lacking in prayer. Oh, but I, I pray at home. No, I'm, I'm talking about pray, prayer. That you don't leave where you're at until you know that you've heard from God and God's heard from you. You know that God God has delivered to you an answer. You know that God has heard your voice. You don't leave that place until you know. We used to have, and I'm not, listen, let me me clear something up. I don't want to go back to the good old days of where we used to be. Remember how we used to have big prayer meetings? I don't want to go back to that. I want to go to where we're supposed to be. Because we're supposed to be further along than the good old days. We're supposed to be better and deeper in prayer. Better and deeper in word. We're supposed to be, that's what, you know. So if we let that, maybe we need to just find a good place of effectual, fervent prayer. Because prayer is the lifeblood. Just like oil is the lifeblood of an engine and a car, prayer is the lifeblood of a Christian. You don't talk to God. You'll be just like Israel. God brought them over into the promised land. God's brought us over into the promised land. You're born again. I'm born again. God's brought us there. But if I don't talk to him about it, I'm going to start looking back into Egypt. Oh, you know, you remember that golden calf? Let's make one like that. Don't, Don't say you won't do it. You'll do it and I will too. 
That's why we got to talk to God. He's got to be God. I'm going to open these altars this morning. Maybe, maybe you have a sin issue. You, you don't have to come up here and say, I, I have a sin issue. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Is there anybody in here that's not a sinner? God bless you, you're dead. And you don't know it. You're dead and you don't know it. We're sinners saved by grace. That doesn't give us freedom to sin, but there are things that happen in our sin happens in our life. Is there anybody here that has an addiction? Oh, I'm in the church. I don't have it. The church is full of people that have addictions. Believe that or not. I know this is hard for you to accept. The church is full of people that, thank God, the church is full of people that have addictions. This is where we need to be so that we can find a place at an altar and pray and say, God, help me with this. Give me the dagger to run through the fat belly of that addiction and get rid of it. To stab all the way through it and get rid of it. Maybe you're here today and you don't have that confidence in you. Praise God, you don't have that confidence in you. Thank God for that. You don't have that to overcome. But maybe you don't have confidence in God. And that's where God wants to meet you in this altar today. He wants to meet you in this altar because He has confidence in you. He has confidence in you. Many times we talk about having faith in God. Have you ever read in Scripture where God has faith in you? Because it's there. It's there. He has faith in you. That's why He chose you. That's why He chose you. He has faith in you. Lord Jesus, we love you today. We serve a mighty God, a great big God. We serve a God who has eyes that we can somehow not even understand at times. But we know our Bible tells us your eyes see us different than we see ourselves and we see one another. I pray today first, God, that if there's anybody here that has an issue of sin in their life and we have a daily, every day, God, we come to you in repentance every day. But maybe there's an addiction that someone has that they can't overcome. Give them the dagger. Give them the sword, the word. Let them run it through that. Let them run it through and overcome it today because we're overcomers by your blood and we're overcomers by the word of God. Let them overcome in this altar today. Those that don't see themselves as you see them, God, let them for the first time maybe today see themselves as you see them. The voice for this generation stands in this altar today. The voice for this generation stands in this altar today. We are your voice. We are your feet. We are your hands. God, help us to see us for who we are in you. God, help us to realize if this nation's going to be turned, if our state's going to be turned, if our cities, if our homes are going to be turned, it's going to be because we decided we don't care what anybody else thinks. We care about what you think. God, I see many Ehuds in here today. People that feel like obscure, not worthy. God, we relinquish all of that to you today because we are walking in your name, not our own. Your spirit, not our own. Your word, not our own. Use Tabernacle of Praise as a lighthouse, as a beacon, as a place for people to come. That they would find a place of repentance in their life. 
that they would hear your call and answer it to become another Ehud in the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Would you just allow the Lord to talk to you a little bit this morning? Let Him talk to your spirit this morning. God, it's in our weakness that you bring the strength. Your wisdom so supersedes our foolishness. Help us to learn that it's not us, it's you. Help us to realize this morning, God, it's not me, it's you. You've brought us out and you called us. You've chosen us. You said in your word, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Chosen generation. For more information about Tabernacle of Praise, look us up online at tabernaclepraise.org. We want to hear from you, so be sure to connect with our Facebook page. We also have a free app that you can use to keep up with events or be notified of bad weather, and you can listen to our sermons directly from the app. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed day.